0: No Browns football this weekend as the five and three Cleveland football Browns chill out on their bye week. Get everybody healthy. Austin Hooper, Nick Chubb, Wyatt Teller, Greedy Williams, maybe I don't know, who can say. But without the Browns playing football this weekend and our stress levels getting a little bit lower, this felt like the perfect time to bring on my man Jake Burns from Browns film Breakdown and the OBR to really take an autopsy of the Browns and where they're at after This bye comes right in the middle of their season, so a good time to look back on what they've done well on offense, what they've done not so well on offense, and mostly on defense, where Baker Mayfield is at eight games into year three of his Browns career and where he needs to go in these final eight games for the organization to really feel confident that he is the quarterback of their future. All of that and more in a sprawling conversation about the state of the Cleveland Browns as they face off against the Houston Texans a week from Sunday in what's going to be pretty much every game out of the bye, a big one if the Browns want to make the playoffs in 2020. So without further ado, Jake Burns back on the pod, joining me to talk all things Browns, state of the Browns, as we look ahead to the second half of the 2020 season. All right, well, uh, it's been a while, but there's a reuniting of uh, Jordan Zerm and, and Jake Burns today on the Rebuild slash the Browns Film Breakdown pod coming together. I don't know what we want to call it at this moment, but uh, Jake, it's good to have you back. It's good to combine our pods once again. It has been far too long since we've been able to do this, and um, I'm feeling great about it. How are you, man? It's good to talk to you.
1: It's good to talk to you too. Exciting times, right? It's, uh, it's fun. Um, the Browns are decent and, and, uh, well, it's crazy in our country, but we're, we're, we're sort to seeing where that's headed and all that, all that stuff can wind down too. We can just focus on some football for a little bit and they got some real opportunities here, man. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting second half of the season and there's, there's nobody I'd rather break it down with than you. So let's do it, man.
0: That's very kind of you to say. Um yeah, there is a there's obviously a lot going on. Um we were texting last night and I was like I was trying to you know, there's only so long I can stare at uh a stare at John King's map for as great as he is. I feel like my geography skills have really skyrocketed because I've just been staring at a map of the United States for the past like uh seventy-two hours. So I feel good about that. Um but I wanted to I was like, "Oh, cool! Well, there's a football game on, so I can watch that instead of election coverage for a while. That'll be great." And then uh, the football game was terrible, so I ended up just back with the election coverage. So I'm actually very excited to just straight up talk some Browns football with you. Um, yeah, like as you mentioned, we are uh, we're at the bye week. The Browns unfortunately do not play this weekend. It's always weird for me when there's a bye week because you for like halfway through the week, you forget that they're not playing. Um, but you know, it feels like the perfect time. It's coming essentially right in the middle of their season. So it feels like this, the, the perfect time to sort of break down what we've seen from what's been kind of a fascinating Brown season. Um, they're sitting at five and three, a fairly disappointing loss to the Oakland Raiders to go into this bye week. I think that was a game that both before and during a lot of us thought uh, was a very winnable game for the Browns and probably should have been uh, a win for the Browns, but it didn't go that way. Um And I think, you know, Jake, we were kind of talking about how we, you know, what we wanted to talk about and what we wanted to dive into first. And I always sort of fall on on Baker Mayfield because for everything else with this team, for all the other pieces, for, for the new coaches, new front office, all of that, like it's going to continue to sit on Baker Mayfield's shoulders. And, as for most of the NFL, when the quarterback doesn't play well, the team um, usually loses. And Baker's had, it's been a very fascinating season for Baker. I remember you and I talking after the Steelers game, and we had talked, I think, a little bit about this uh, earlier in the year, too. But, you know, the Steelers game was pretty concerning, and you and I were sort of talking about, our thoughts on what Baker might be as a quarterback. Um, he's bounced back a little bit since then, but again, you know, they played, he's played Cincinnati twice and that was the game where he sort of bounced back after that Steelers loss. And it's it's hard to fully judge Baker against sort of those lesser defenses. Um, so he's really just kind of been all over the map this season in terms of performance week to week. I, I just want to start with you, and sort of just get your feelings on on Baker and where he is right now. I think both of us were pretty concerned after that Steelers game. Have you, let's start here. have have has your thoughts on Baker changed um, since that Steelers game? Do you feel better about him at all since from his performances since that Steelers game or are you still um, sort of the same concern that you expressed to me sort of when we were texting after that that loss to Pittsburgh?
1: Yeah, that's a great lead into where, where they are and where he is. and uh, So it's challenging. There, there, there's no doubt – I kind of feel like I've pegged where Baker is. There, there's no doubt he's a streaky football player. Um, he's he's He gets in these rhythms where he plays well, and then he'll get in these ruts where he plays really poorly. And the ultimate measure of what Baker will become, it's, it's so boring to say because it's pretty cliche, but it's consistency. What can he do uh, week to week to overcome what defenses are going to do to 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 give him fits? Like, I, I've talked about this in a, in a couple different platforms, which is where, you know, there's the conversation about is Baker better without Odell, and that's a conversation that we can't have right now. I think you can kind of spitball some things, but you can't look at 2018 isolated because in this kind of builds to what I'm talking about where Baker is. 2018 was his rookie year, and and teams really had no idea how to play him yet. They didn't really have a feel for what things he struggles with. They got an off-season worth of tape and figured out, hey, this is what this guy does really well. This is what this guy does not do well. We're going to try to make him do what he doesn't do well. Now, not every team, Jordan, has the ability to do the things that he doesn't handle well all the time. You know, there are a certain number of teams that have that ability to make him – work read to read to read can mix up coverages and can, can give him different looks pre snap to post snap and can really rush him in a, in a way that gives him a lot of trouble. Unfortunately, two of those teams are in the division and they have a, a perfect formula for how to play Baker. And, um, it's going to be interesting to see how he overcomes it over time because the big statistic to me is, is the, the fact that he's pro football. Pro Football focuses worst-graded quarterback by a relatively wide margin when a team disguises coverage pre-snap to post-snap. So what I mean by that, I know you know, but for the listeners, a team comes out in what's called open coverage, which is middle of the field open, which is, is two high safeties. So that means typically safeties split outside the tackle boxes, and it's going to be either cover two, cover four, or at certain occasions, what's called cover six, which is half, quarter, quarter, which is... Um, you know, cover two to one side of the field, cover four to the other side of the field. And for the most part, that's what they're going to play. If they come out in closed coverage, which is single high safety, um, that's usually cover one, man free, or cover three, uh, or a variety of a rotating look that starts and, and kind of folds into different coverage that usually ends up with odd coverage over top. So the problem for Baker is when teams go from that first look, what he thinks it is pre-snap to a completely different look. The best defenses can change, alter looks, pre-snap to post-snap, and give quarterbacks fits. Now, not every defense can do that because they, A, don't have the personnel that can handle those sorts of uh, next-level concepts in the secondary. Because just like offenses are limited sometimes by what their guys can do, what their guys can remember, defenses are challenged too. The biggest part of playing defense is communication, and the toughest part of communication is knowing – we're going from one spot to the next spot, and everybody has to know where they're rotating and what they're doing. Pittsburgh, very good at it. Extremely good at it because of the continuity that they've had there, the players that they brought back, and a scheme that's been in place for a long time. Same with Don Martindale and the Ravens. They're fantastic at giving you one look, pressuring you, uh, giving you a hot read as a quarterback. What I mean by a hot read is a quick throw. Uh, so if a team blitzes two off the right side to overload the right side, your, your mind as a quarterback says, Hey, I need to throw into that. Take advantage of that. They're not, there's not going to be anybody there if they blitz, right? Like that's common logic, but they rotate and cover it up. They'll take a backside linebacker. They'll take a backside defensive tackle, which is what we saw Calais Campbell do in week one and make you think you're throwing there. But hey, we got a hand on it. It's an interception. So there are teams that can do it all the time. Uh, New England, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Tennessee, uh, Kansas City, sneaky good at it. Um, there are teams that will do that. There, then there are teams that won't do that. And Baker can pretty much um, take advantage of those teams. I maintain the idea that as far as a quarterback who is uh, first read based, if his first read is, is what he thinks it is supposed to be, and he trusts and believes in his read and rips it, he's got as good an arm as anybody in the NFL in my opinion. Maybe Mahomes is better, obviously. There's some rare exceptions here. But he's got a great live arm for an NFL quarterback, and he's, for the most part, pretty accurate. The problem for Baker is when he has to come off that first read and work to his second or third read. He was known for last year getting out of the pocket, scrambling left, scrambling right, when he didn't even need to. He has fought that tendency this year. I will give him credit for that. He's fought that tendency. There are noticeable times where he's trying to sit in the pocket and make himself stay there. A great example was the ball against Oakland that Jarvis dropped uh, where he worked off the left hash, wanted to scramble left, stopped himself, wanted to push back out right, kind of stopped himself, used his line, and found an open player. Just the ball wasn't completed. There are numerous examples of that throughout the year. He's been much better at it. But when pressure gets barreled into his face, he still struggles with being able to keep his eyes downfield, find his second read, find his third read, and keep his mechanics in line. He's not a quarterback who can do the off-base throws. You probably have seen that talked about, um, you know, guys who are able to throw air quotes off-base, meaning their feet aren't aligned perfectly, their hips aren't aligned perfectly. They can they're, 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 There's somebody around their feet. Different things going on that means you've got to throw from a weird arm angle. He's not good at that stuff right now. Can that come? Maybe, but he's not good at it right now. So defense is no, hey, we're going to muddy up the picture for him pre-snap to post-snap, not good at it. We're going to rush edge, edge rushers high upside and box him in the pocket, make him feel like he needs to escape. And when he escapes, we'll just take care of him when he escapes laterally because he doesn't step up and slide and manipulate the pocket with common quarterback footwork. He wants to escape and make plays on the run. That's what he's adept at. It's what he's done back to his Texas Tech and Lake Travis days when he's playing in high school. He's just That's just who he is. So he's fighting those tendencies. So, um, listen, I, what Baker is ultimately going to pay attention to for me, what I'm going to pay attention to with him, is can he ever go from what I've I've said all year? Is he's a play taker. If Stefanski schemes it up, if the defense puts a, a an opportunity in front of him to throw his first read, he will take that play and make that play most of the time. Now there have been games where we get really down on him, right, Jordan, where he doesn't even take the plays that are there, and it's like this is frustrating. But if he can take those plays that are there, he's serviceable. He's fine he is not a playmaker at the current moment. And at the current moment, the Browns need a play uh, playmaker sometimes because there are times where he's not able, to, the offense just gets covered up. They don't have great receivers outside of Odell and they need a playmaker, but he's not there. So can you ever go from a play taker to a playmaker? For him, he's not Lamar's feet, doesn't have Josh Allen's body size, doesn't have Josh Allen's swift feet either. Uh, he does not have, Pat Mahomes' ability to drop back 10, 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage and still find somebody deep downfield because he has a ridiculous off-base arm and accuracy. Same with Deshaun Watson, who can get out of really ridiculous stuff in the pocket. He's not like that. He has to get to the point where he is just like Drew Brees in terms of being a step or two out in front of his opponent, knowing that, hey, they're going to roll to this blitz side. Actually, we need to throw it away from the roll side because that's who's going to be open. Not that guy, but away from it because they're going to replace. Like, can he ever cerebral uh, and his, his approach become so ahead of teams? You know, you talk about LeBron as a basketball player being two steps ahead. That's kind of what the best quarterbacks are. Tom Brady, guys who aren't swift to feet. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, when he was playing really good football, they're two beats ahead. They know where you're coming from and they take advantage of it. That's where he has to get. Does he ever get there? I don't know, man. Like that's that's what we that's what we need to figure out. So you pay attention in the second half of the season to when he's playing against really good defenses. Tennessee is hit or miss, but they have a really good scheme when they play Cleveland and they have a great defensive mind in, in Vrabel. They'll play Baltimore, they'll play Pittsburgh. Pay attention to how he handles those good defenses because it's nice to have a quarterback who can play pretty solidly to really good against bad defenses. That's great. That's kind of been Baker's MO. But eventually the Browns know if we're going to hand this guy a couple hundred million dollars or whatever uh, that extension looks like, can he take us to another level? Because if that's not the case, replacement-level quarterbacking uh, and saving money at the quarterback position to invest money in other places is not the worst idea in the world. So they have to see more from Baker. They have to see a guy who progresses in the offense. And that was a really interesting uh, Kevin Stefanski interview with Bullen Fox the other day. You should listen to if you want to hear Kevin's opinion on him and opening up the playbook a little bit now. Some good info there. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's particularly what I'm paying attention to is how he progresses for being a guy who can take the schemes that are given by an offense, uh, and, and really become a guy who can make schemes happen within an offense. I think Mike Sando, I hope I said that name right. Uh, he was on with Ryan Rosillo and made a good point that a quarterback either unlocks plays within a playbook, or he, he he limits them. It's usually one of the two. He can either unlock things an offense can do, or he limits what your offense can do. It's rarely anything in between. Baker has to find a, be a way to be a guy who can unlock things within a playbook for his offense. So a uh, little long-winded, man, but that's where I'm at with him.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you make a ton of great points. I think that's a phenomenal breakdown of, of where Baker is at this moment. Um, you know, it reminds me of his rookie year, as you sort of brought up, it's really hard now to look back at that because like you said, like there was just no, there was no tape on him. Defenses d- were unsure how to play him. Um, they were, they gave throws to him that like you're seeing are no longer available and they're disguising those coverages to put guys in those throwing lanes that, um, they were not doing when Baker was a rookie. But it, it makes me think of, and it's sort of, um, the perfect timing because they are playing the Texans coming up. But I, in, in 2018, the Browns played the Texans in Houston and it was one of Baker's sort of worst games as a rookie that year. I think he threw three interceptions in that game. And it was really the first time that I remember a defense really changing like drastically how they played Baker and the Browns and um, Romeo Cornell, their defensive coordinator, I, I remember he just, they were really only rushing three or four guys and they were, they were dropping, um, seven or eight and they were, they were putting whether they were, like you said, they were doing a great job disguising coverages. They were dropping defensive linemen when you didn't expect it. They were having a linebacker, um, play a different part of the field or just not carry a receiver or, or a tight end when you thought the linebacker was going to carry him and and instead sort of playing a zone. And um, I remember, I forget exactly, it might have been Whitney Merciless. I forget exactly who it was, but there a linebacker picked off Baker in one of those exact scenarios where the linebacker did not do what Baker thought he was going to do. Um, and Baker threw it essentially right into the window where the linebacker was. And I remember that was really the first time, and I remember reading articles after that game, About how that defense really just stymied the Browns. Um, and they were really in the second half, I think they got loose a little bit, but in the first half, Browns were really unable to do anything. And it almost feels like that was very much a part of the blueprint that started coming out on, on Baker. And like you, like you just mentioned, like how difficult it can be for him when a team disguises the coverage and you get the snap and, oh no, my first read, like, that's not the coverage I expected. What do I do now? I panic. I run out of the pocket. I'm still going to throw it. And, you know, this is not to, like, I'm not comparing Nick Mullins to Baker Mayfield or or anything of the sort, but like you, you sometimes, some of the throws Baker's made this season when he is totally confused, obviously the one that everybody thinks about is the one to Minka Fitzpatrick um, against the Steelers, but like, you see those type of throws from just bad quarterbacks, like Nick Mullins made some absolutely atrocious throws last night that like should not have been thrown, throwing directly into coverage, and it's, and you watch and from snap to throw, like he just decided this is where I'm going, I, whatever the coverage is, like I don't know what to do without this read, so I'm just gonna throw it. And and sometimes, like, Baker is obviously a much better quarterback than Nick Mullins. But sometimes you see similarities in these throws that some of these, like, bad quarterbacks, these backup quarterbacks are making because they don't know what to do after their first read is taken away. They're just going to throw it anyway. And that's, like, Baker's sort of floor right now, and that's not good. Like, for Baker to be, I think a lot of the points you made are great. For Baker to be the type of quarterback that is going to unlock this offense – like you can't have his floor be the type of throw that you saw against the Steelers to make the Fitzpatrick or the type of throw that you've really seen a lot of since uh, last season where you're just you watch a replay and you're just like where why did you throw that pass there's somebody right in that window um, those are throws you see from guys that are not starters in the NFL now Baker on the flip side and I think like you mentioned like Absolutely. Baker has one of the strongest arms in the NFL. I also think Baker can put the ball wherever he wants. Like when when he's right, and and I think you mentioned this too, like when he has his first reader, when he has a clear path to where he wants to throw the ball, like he'll put it wherever. That throw to David Njoku, I think about a lot against Cincinnati um, in the back of the end zone, just a gorgeous throw and like put it no one else was catching that ball except for David Njoku. And you see that type of thing a lot. Like, he can make those throws. He really can put the ball wherever he wants it. I, I think you're so spot on where it really comes down to it's not the arm, it's not the accuracy. It's so much more just processing the field, understanding that defenses are probably not going to look the same from snap to post-snap, and, and just being able to figure that out. And until he's able to sort of make that, that leap, He's he's never going to reach the tier of quarterback that not even like the the Mahomes and Russell Wilson level like he that's a step up from even where we hope he can get to but if he can reach sort of a tier underneath that, um then you're really starting to feel good about Baker's long term success with the Browns but like you said like it's going to be very very fascinating to watch the second half of the season uh, he has you know this bye week I think comes at a really good time not only because the Browns lost Odell. And are going to sort of have to re, refigure their offense a little bit. Now they will get Austin Huber back. They will get Nick Chubb back. And that's going to allow them to do some things they haven't been able to do these past few weeks. But like for him to sort of take some time, look over how the first season, uh, first half of the season has gone, sit down with Kevin Stefanski, go over what's working, what's not, continue to learn this system. It's really, it's really an important second half of the season, not only to like, Ha- get to the playoffs which should be should absolutely be their goal and is still incredibly obtainable but also for him to just continue to grow and yeah I mean like I was watching Andrew Berry's press conference whenever that was yesterday or the day before uh, all, this week has completely blurred together for me but um you know they're asking Andrew about um about Baker and you know, it's really hard to gleam things, Jake. I think from as we've learned over the years, these press conferences, especially with front office guys who are really not going to say a whole lot, but you just didn't, you just don't get the sense that Andrew Barry is like thrilled about Baker Mayfield. Now he's not going to ever be like, yeah, he's not what we want right now. We need him to be better. Like he's, he was very diplomatic about it. He was saying things like, uh, you know, Baker's done everything we've asked of him, which is a very cliche and meaningless line. So, you you just get a little bit of the sense that um you know internally there's probably still a lot of questions especially from a guy that did not um did not draft baker mayfield um and so you it's just going to be really fascinating um and and I think that's going to be hopefully part of the fun of the second half of the season is hopefully being able to watch baker grow and hopefully become that quarterback but you're right like you know, once he's not on that rookie deal anymore, and once you're paying out big money, you have to ask some tougher questions. You, you have the luxury these past, you know, since he's been a rookie to not really worry about that contract, and you can have a little more patience with him. But once you get into the realm of like, are we going to pay him? Are we going to sign him long term? Like, those are the questions you have to start asking.
1: And really, even the fifth year option is dicey, because it's expensive. And it's going to yep. be really expensive in two years, when some of these other Contracts kick in and his, his portion of what's valued or what's averaged out there will be, it'll be pricey, man. So like, I got a couple things to add to what you said because you, you you know, you, you carried what I said and made some good points and then you start talking and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to add that. So like, it's interesting with, with Baker um, and Barry, I think in, even Stefanski, I really encourage, and I don't know if you got to listen to this Jordan or not, but the bull, the bull and fox. I did not. So I
0: need to go back and listen to it, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's it's at the very very beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's at the very beginning and they're just they're asking the same questions about Baker and what do you think of his performance and how can he get better? And uh, Kevin's very diplomatic in his answers too, but in a way that is, is normal, right? Like in a way that is, you know, we, Baker's doing everything in terms of what we've asked of him. He's making mistakes, but he's making plays, and we didn't have time to prepare. And we, you know, adequately prepare him like we hope to. And we, we're taking what he does well, and, and we're trying to add more of what he does well, and taking what he doesn't do well is self-admittedly what he doesn't do well, and trying to find, like, the happy medium and all of that. And I, I, that that part to me is is pretty interesting in the same way that – I would say, this is just my opinion, but if Andrew Barry's being diplomatic about Baker, he's probably telling us uh, what, what we need to know, which is if they had full confidence in Baker to carry the franchise to a whole other level, and this is our guy and we know this is our guy, they wouldn't shy away from saying it. The Texans don't sit there and say, hey, we believe in Deshaun. Um, you know, We think Deshaun is going to carry us. We're going to sign him. We'll work out the deal. He's the future of the face of the franchise. All those things are said about the guys that are. You're going to be diplomatic in the sense that if you don't believe in Baker, you're still going to say the right things, like he's doing everything we asked him to do, blah blah blah. That to me was very telling. I'm not expecting them, unless unless Baker had had lit up the league and had three straight glowing years, uh, and it was in the middle of year three with a with a, a 17-2 ratio and was killing the league, and, and it, it, they're they're keeping it at an arm's length. They know, and it was it was evident to me the minute they signed Case Keenum. That they just want to have an insurance plan ready because they don't, they don't know. The franchise does not know if he's the future or not. Because if they knew and they believed in him and he was shredding the league, they would have said that yesterday. Hey, Baker's our guy. We'll work out a deal with him when the time is right, but he's the face of the franchise. We have 100% faith in him. They would say those things. I'm not trying to build fear in anybody. I'm not trying to scare anyone the same way you're not, but they would have said it. So there's still to be proven. It's a, it's a to be proven situation. There's no way around
0: that. No, and I think like, yeah, like we're not not trying to scare anyone, but also like this is you would want you would 100% want your both your coach and you know your your GM to like if there's questions about the quarterback, and I don't think aside from maybe the people that are just like these diehard Baker fans, which we know we know that (laughs) on Twitter there those people do exist. I don't think anyone is like knows that Baker is it, like is 100% it. Like you, if you, if you feel like that, I would question, you know, your, what you've watched over the last two seasons. Like I, it's, I think it's more than okay for both you and I and for the organization to have the jury still be out on Baker. And I think like it, it would be doing a disservice to, especially within the organization to, to not continue to ask those questions and not continue to observe um, what is still an unfinished product. Like it's, I I would hope that both Stefanski and Andrew Berry are, you know, week to week and then taking a little bit of a, a zoomed out picture at the end of the season, like are doing their due diligence because, yeah, again, like you said, like if Baker is not it and we get to this end of the season and, and not a lot has changed in, in terms of his performance where it's still week to week and against the better teams and better defenses, like we'll see, you know, the Ravens and Steelers again. And if it's sort of the same thing, then you really do have to ask those questions because this is a, this is a roster. And I think, you know, this transitions nicely into the second half of our conversation, but like this is a roster at least offensively Um and we'll get to the defense. And obviously the defense is not a finished product either. I think, you know, this upcoming draft, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to, to sort of um add <laughs> some much more needed talent to the rest of the defense. And we'll, we'll touch on that, but um you know, the, offensively, even without whatever happens with Odell, um, whether he's continues to be a Cleveland Brown, whether he ends up getting traded, like whatever happens with that, this is still an offensive roster that has an incredible amount of talent on it, um, and I think you're seeing also a scheme that, and and I have full confidence in Kevin Stefanski that you know he will get the most out of the scheme and the players that he has, um, and I think you know I'm it's only been you know, seven, seven, eight games into Stefanski's coaching career. And I already, am just uh, feel very good about him as a head coach and as a play caller. So yeah, you have to make these decisions because this is going to be a roster and you're going to have to start paying people. Um And they've already paid obviously like a Miles Garrett and there's going to be other guys like Denzel Warden and, and these contracts coming up. Like you, you have a roster that you can win with and that is a good roster um, and and you will continue to add to it. So If the guy that is the most important piece of that roster is not getting it done and is eventually holding back this team from what it what it could be moving forward, then that is absolutely something you need to look at. So, yeah, like I said, like we are not, this is not being like Baker's not it. We we don't know, but if you're not asking those questions, then that's a problem within itself.
1: Well, some of the don't know is the Browns' fault, right? This has been talked about. You know, you would like to have a better feel for where Baker is in the middle of year three, but you also keep telling yourself like, yeah, he's struggling. But in your mind, you're like, well, this is year three with four head coaches and three systems. If they were, if he was drafted by you know, Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin in place and the same offensive coordinator for three years or, or, or new England or whatever, where there's consistency around him, you would have a feel and you would know this is either going to work or it's probably going to not like the Browns have kept resetting his clock. Right. They kept resetting it. They reset it again with with Kitchens, and then they reset it again here with Stefanski. So it's like we're, we're, we're in a bit of a precocious situation where they got to make a judgment about this kid after maybe just one year or one and a half years in this system, and that's dangerous, right? Like he could need more time. Now, I'm of the belief, Jordan, where it's like people are, are saying, well, he needs more. This is a new system. Everything's new to him. I think he's been doing the things that are new to him best. All the play action boot schemes, all that stuff, that's what he's doing really well. The stuff that he's struggling with is stuff that he's been doing in shotgun based systems forever. Like a lot of people get confused about like Air Corps yell or Air Raid or West Coast offense. Those are nice labels and they're general philosophies about how you how you run your offense, but the, the schemes themselves are typically typically the same they they carry over there's a lot of repeating schemes in playbooks so like that's what's given me concern is the things that are new to baker are not what he's been struggling with it's the things that he's always had as a part of his playbooks like slant flat or curl flat or or um you know high low read concepts or or seam based read or four vertical read concepts or he's been doing those since like i said earlier like travis he's in high school they do the same stuff it's universal but it's 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 that stuff he's not doing proficiently read to read that gives me concern. So, like, there's no better game, and I'm going to close out my Baker thoughts with, like, there's no better game to rewatch than the Colts because you made some great points, Jordan, about there's some throws in there where you're like, okay, I get it. He can do this thing. But then there's also some throws in there where it's like, okay, he airmails in the first half. He airmails a ball up the seam over the head of a wide-open Harrison Bryant that should have been intercepted because he didn't slide just one little bit in the pocket right to open up the passing window. Or the ball that gets picked off by Bobby Okereke in the second half, the late in the third quarter interception, not the last one, but the first one in the second half where it's like he didn't even see that guy. Same with Minka. There's examples of this. So the challenge for the Browns is figuring out what kind of quarterback Baker is going to be for you. Is he a, is he a basement quarterback that you talked about earlier where his he, he just might never get better than the, that, that basement minimum? Like he just might always have that in him and it's going to be a part of who he is. If that's the case, you probably don't want to keep him around. Is he a part of the, 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 the Jimmy Garoppolo type of quarterbacks in the middle there where you can give him a second contract with some with some uh you know some outs for your team, a way to avoid it if he does not pan out. That's what I'm predicting. They'll try to keep him around, they'll give him a contract that's gonna have a ton of like once it gets released and you're like, dang, 125 million. Oh, but after the second year they can get out of it for this much, that much, whatever. That's what I think. I don't, the the dream for the Browns, in my opinion, is he gets to a Matt Stafford-like level. A guy who's never going to quite be on the Wilson, Breeze, Brady, Mahomes-like level, but can be a guy that you can win some games with. He can win you three or four games a year by making some, some, some really great plays. That's the, that is the dream scenario. And probably something that when he was drafted, we all didn't want to be like Matt Stafford's a ceiling. Well, It is what it is. Like, this is just kind of where it's going. If he can get there, they can win plenty of games. And that's what brings me back to your question is like the Browns will have to construct things around him that says, okay, we have to provide good talent around Baker. The best quarterbacks in the league can take a gutted middle-class type of their roster, maybe a weak left tackle, a weak guard, a weak wide receiver group and make them better. Think Deshaun, right? Can make them better and carry them and overcome the mistakes made by GMs. Like, with the Browns' current setup and with Baker right now, they can't make a ton of mistakes around him. Now, the lucky part is, offensively, they haven't made many. You know, the Odell injury stinks, but they haven't made many. they provided him with enough talent. I know you and I were texting, Jordan, about the gutted middle class. That gutted middle class hasn't really happened on offense. Everything's in place. Like if they were able to keep the status quo, keep these two running backs, and and get Odell healthy and right, or or replace him with another player of not, you're not going to find someone on the market of a Odell like level, but maybe they draft a guy that they feel can do some of those things similarly, take the top off a of defense, win over the middle intermediate route type stuff. Then you start saying, can they construct their offense in a way that they don't break the bank for Baker? Is it advantageous to pay Baker five years, $95 million, and still be able to have enough money to get all these guys around him to approach it like San Francisco, where you don't break the bank over the quarterback, but you have a ton of talent spread out money-wise and you say, we're going to collectively win this thing. That's where they're at. I don't know. We'll talk about defense in a little bit, but the offensive talent is, is, is there. There is certainly no doubt that they have enough offensive talent to be pretty good. It ultimately goes where Baker takes them. They're going to try to figure out where that is. He can take them over time, but the talent is there on offense. They're going to have to sign some guys back. Uh, probably got to pay Wyatt Teller eventually. Um, but, but the talent, like I said, it is, it is certainly there on offense. And it's just a matter of of using this year, Baker's fourth year, maybe considering his fifth-year option, or a team-friendly almost – it's not a prove-it deal, but it kind of is, where if you go and look at Jimmy Garoppolo's deal, it was, hey, this is a lot of money, but they also have ways to get out of it if he's not proving himself. And I'm not sure. Maybe Baker will will say, hey, man, give me that money. I'm going to go prove it, and and I'm going to capitalize on these incentives, and I'm going to make you pick up my third year of this contract because I'm so good. Maybe that's what he needs, man. I, I don't know. He's a chip-on-the-shoulder guy, whatever motivates him, whatever. But there are ways in which they're going to have to look at this because he, if he ever got to a ridiculously elite quarterback level like we see some of these guys, I would be truly stunned. So they're going to have to – they're either going to have to decide he's not good enough for us anymore, we don't like this, and get rid of him, or they're going to have to give him a contract that gives them the flexibility to, A, get out of it, if he can ever pan out to what we think – he, you know, what they ultimately hope he could become – or B, uh, a structured contract for him in which they can still allow themselves the money to build talent on the rest of the roster without crippling 25%, 30% of their cap figure to a quarterback. So yeah. that's where we're at.
0: Yeah, no, I <clears> – <throat> again, that great stuff there. And I, I do think it's interesting to think about the kind of kind of contracts they can offer him. And, yeah, I think you're right. Like he, he has always been a guy that seems to thrive the most when he's played terribly and he's seen what people are saying – about him on social media. He's shown great restraint this year. I don't think he's clapped back on anyone, to anyone in Instagram comments or, or Twitter, but maybe like, maybe he should. <laughs> maybe we need like one week of Baker responding to people to really get him going. Cause that always seems to sort of light the flame under him. But, but you're right. I think like the tier of the Mahomes, the Russell Wilsons, the Deshaun Watsons, like I don't think Baker is ever going to reach that. I think we've seen enough to know like that. He's not going to be that, but that's okay. Like you don't. I mean, yes, you would love for him to get to that. I think that's everyone's, uh every organization's goal should be to find a quarterback on that level. But uh, like you said, like if you're a tier below that, or if you're a, a slightly better version of Jimmy Garoppolo and you have the talent around you, you can win NFL football games with a smart coaching staff and good players around you, which I think the Browns have on offense. And um yeah, it's just going to be what, what Andrew Berry and, and the rest of the front office are going to you know it's going to be a tough decision for them um and you know especially without a ton of information because they really They really did punt last year. Um, Now, that's not taking – that's not making any excuses for Baker. Like, he was really bad regardless. But like you said, I think putting it – resetting his clock is a great way to put it. They really just – last year, it's it's hard to put into words how damaging everything that went on last year was to Baker's development, to understanding what he's good at, what he's bad at, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offers valid through December 31st. That sort of concludes the Baker part of this. I really want to touch on I think just going right to the defensive side of the ball. Now, we'll also sort of touch on different position groups and everything like that. Um, but I wanted to start with you, Jake, on defense, because I'm really curious to get what you've seen, um, your thoughts on this. I just want to present sort of what I've seen. You obviously, like, understand sort of Joe Woods and his scheme and, and some of the things that maybe are really – hurting the Browns or why the Browns personnel is is not able to sort of play this way or whatever it may be. But a couple of things that I've seen, I think just to start, it's like, I don't know if they were relying on this early on, but their defense has between Miles Garrett and between Denzel Ward, you know, sort of maybe too much reliance on, okay, it's third and long, like we're going to push our chips in on, okay, Miles and Olivier Vernon and, and you know, we'll blitz a linebacker or whatever, but we're going to get to the quarterback where Miles is going to be able to create enough pressure that we can just rush for and we can help out our secondary that, you know, outside of Denzel really struggles. Um, and then the other thought for them maybe was, okay, Denzel Ward is a really good cornerback. He's going to make plays. He's going to get interceptions. He's going to cause fumbles, whatever. Like, that is also going to be a bit of our saving grace. But I think, you know, obviously the problem with that is defense is such a, and football in general, but defense is such a team sport in every sense of the word. Like you cannot ask Miles Garrett to get, and he's been trying, but you cannot ask Miles Garrett to create pressure on every single snap. It's just not going to happen. You could you could put Aaron Donald and Miles Garrett and, and whoever else you want on the line you could have the best four that you have, and you're just not going to be able to get to the quarterback on every single play. Um, I think we've seen that. Like, Miles is a human. Miles is going to get tired. You can't ask Miles to strip sack the quarterback all the time to get you out of trouble. It's just not going to happen. Same thing with Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward's going to get beat. We've seen him get beat. Um, he, Denzel Ward's not going to be able to um, blow up a wide receiver screen like he has on every play. He's not going to be able to pull an, inter- an interception on every single play, relying on, like, turnovers, which are very volatile and sort of pressure from one guy on your line is just not a tenable way to go about playing defense when the rest of your defense is, I think, as poor as it has been for the Browns. Um, so I-, I wanted to start there and sort of get your thoughts on that. And then the other thing I, I wanted to touch on and-, and we'll get here, I think obviously Andrew Sandejo has been a bit of a punching bag for especially Browns Twitter and not, not without reason, Um you know, I, it's probably a little bit unfair. I think for like the position that he's been put in, I, he probably should not be playing as many snaps as he is for this Browns defense. Like they just don't have any other options. Um, but it does seem as you sort of watch, this is sort of how I feel about it is that be, because he's put in these positions, I think what the Browns try to do, um, defensively, especially on that back end is, is makes it really, really difficult because if you're going to play sort of zone schemes where he's the last line of defense and he has to make a decision of where he's going and what areas he's covering on the field, I think you see from Sandejo, Sandejo he just doesn't have good instincts, especially in coverage and in zone coverage. Like, that's so much of what I've seen is his – He's just a step slow on decision-making, and you always see him chasing somebody instead of maybe being out in front of it and and guessing correctly on where he needs to go. Um, I've seen him take to some unbelievably awful angles on run plays where You know, he's kind of – he's the difference between a, okay, it's a 10-yard run but fine or it's a 30 to 40-yard run because he took a bad angle and there goes that guy or it's on a wide receiver scene. Anyway, I think it's just more emblematic, and and this is where I really want to get your thoughts too, Jake, on just emblematic of like what the Browns are trying to do on defense and how they're just not personnel-wise really able to do any of it because they just don't have – between the linebackers and and that secondary outside of – I li- I do like Ronnie Harrison. I think like he's continuing to grow week to week. Andrew Berry raved about him. Now he traded for him, so obviously you would want him to rave about him, but Andrew Berry raved about him in his press conference um recently. And I really do think Ronnie Harrison can do a lot of things and as he gets used to this team and this defense is going to be um a big boost. So I like Ronnie a lot, Ronnie a lot too, but like just in general, the Browns just cannot. There's just a lot they can't do on defense and it's really sort of on third downs. We've seen it. I tweeted about this third and fourth downs. Like they just can't get off the field. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL um, in conversion rate, giving up conversion rate to the opposing team on those, on those late downs. It's really bad. So um, that's a lot. I sort of just jam packed as thoughts kind of came into my mind about observations. But um, Jake, I'd like to like your overall thoughts on the defense, and then maybe hitting on some of those points. Cause I I've been really curious to get your thoughts on some of those things
1: as well. I think, I think you nailed it. You kind of, I think everybody who talks about this defense kind of goes on like a, like a, a, what is it called? Something consciousness, right? Is it, uh, you're just repeating what you don't know what to think. So you're just kind of talking about them. And it's like, to me, it circles back to they're just average football players everywhere. Like if Miles doesn't make a play, uh, or Denzel doesn't make a play and Denzel's had some misses too, but like, if those guys don't make plays, who's making a play? Who who is going above and beyond to make a play? I don't know who. Like it's a bunch of guys who will go where you're supposed to go. If I'm supposed to be a hook drop, I'm going to get to my my area. If I'm supposed to curl flat, I'm going to get to my area. If I'm supposed to be in deep third, I'm I'm going to get to my area and I'm just going to be there, right? Like they don't have very many guys at all who can 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 do those sorts of exciting plays. That are like, oh man, he just jumped that route. He just jumped that concept. The only plays they're making, Jordan, are when guys hand them plays. When Dwayne Haskins hands them a play, or, or, um, you know, he threw a couple boneheaded interceptions, or, uh, um, you know, or, or somebody, Zeke fumbles halfway down the field, or, or whatever. If Miles isn't making an extraordinary play, or Denzel isn't making some sort of extraordinary play, they're not getting any plays from anybody, and it's a, and it really is a a group of guys who are just kind of average football players. Who, if you painted like you know a, a wins above replacement on some of these guys, the war, the old WAR number, many of them would just sort of be blah. They they don't jump concepts. If you're if you look at their linebackers like Mac Wilson over the last few weeks, it's a guy who if the guy isn't running into my gap, I'm not making a play. I'm not jumping over two gaps to make a play. I'm not reading things and getting downhill right now and making a play. Like, they don't – they're just an uninspired group. Now, there are problems that I notice that they're having throughout the year, which is kind of pissing me off, which is they don't even get lined up right sometimes. Very indicative play on the on the OBR Film Breakdown Twitter handle. It's third and six for Oakland down inside like the 12-yard line. Maybe it was even further out, like the 15-yard line. They spend of the of the ten seconds prior to snap. Uh, B.J. Goodson, who is the green dot for their their defense, is is doing a, a decent job playing the Mike linebacker role this year. Better than who was there before him in terms of how Joe's performing in Jacksonville. So that's a different discussion. But like he's okay. And then Sandejo's their key communicator in the secondary. They spend eight of the final ten seconds until snaps, until the snap is made, pointing, shifting yelling at guys where to get lined up and then they snap the football and run a, an easy five yard out to Darren Waller who turns it up for eight yards because Sandejo isn't prepared for the snap like it's just it's just happening all the time there are these communication breakdowns where these guys are not getting where they need to go or there's a communication bust in the secondary and then you see Sandejo trying to run somebody down because he either he busted it or somebody else busted it. And it's like you have a bunch of average football players who aren't going to make plays above their means often anyway. And then you mix in a group that doesn't seem to know where to line up or what they're supposed to be doing. Maybe 15% of snaps on any given Sunday. And that's where it's bad. So somebody asked me recently, like, is this a, is this a Jimmy's and Joe's type of thing with the players aren't good enough or is it a, a, a Joe Woods isn't good? And I think it's like 35-65. You know, the phrase that I always talk about, I come back to this so often. It, 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 for coaches is like it's not what you know as a coach there are some coaches who are very good whiteboard guys that if I draw up a scheme he can draw up five ways to beat it uh, or five ways to cover it or five ways to pressure it or then there are guys who 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 are really good at teaching and communicating I'll take the teacher communicator over the guy on the whiteboard any day of the week because it's not what you know as a coach it's what you get your players to know through you that's what's most important because you're not playing You're just coaching. So how do you get your guys to do the right things, get to the right spots, know how to play defensive and defense in the right place, and to cover the scheme that's coming? How do you have them prepared? And I don't feel like it's a group that's prepared. Now there are reasons that could be shuffling personnel, injuries galore, uh, no OTAs, no mini camp, you know, bridge preseason. Sorry, no preseason, a bridge training camp. There are excuses. I get it. I'm not making definitive judgments on Joe Woods. And they're certainly not getting the things they expected to get out of of Larry Ogunjobi and and Olivier Vernon and and some other guys that they were counting on. You know, they expected Greedy Williams to play this year, and he hasn't played it down. There are things all over the field. But to me, with what they're putting on the field, it's about a 65% Jimmys and Joes situation where they have nine guys on the field at any given time who I just don't think are going to make a play. A, A play could happen for them if a play lands in their lap. Dwayne Haskins throws them a ball right to their hook zone. Uh, or something of that nature, or or um trying to think of any other instances where they've gotten on the front end of some turnovers. I w- or Ronnie Harrison say... sitting in the flat, right? Phil yeah. Rivers just throws it to him. That's the, That's the other one really I was going to really bring pressure. up. Yep. Yeah, like they'll make those plays, but for the most part, they're not going to do anything over the or out of the ordinary. Like if you watch – if you go back and re-watch the Oakland game, they were playing cover three, like I think – Derek Carr only completes like 10 passes. They threw some balls to Hunter Renfro, like three yard hitch routes against cover three where the corner's playing eight yards off and they're taking the curl flat defender and the curl flat defender is just instantly running to the flat and they're leaving the curl window wide open. It's like they have no concept of what quarterbacks or the route concepts going on in front of them are going to do. They're not pattern matching anything. So it's an easy throw. So like, you see Joe Burrow complete, continually complete throws because he's getting, we talked about it for Baker Mayfield, right? Jordan, where you got to confuse quarterbacks, you got to make them see one thing and throw something else. They're not doing any of that. So they're unable to do that. So what the picture they're giving them pre-snap is the identical picture to what they're going to do post-snap. And teams are just picking them apart. Mix that with not getting any pressure outside of Miles Garrett consistently. Sheldon Richardson is flashed here and there, but they don't get anything consistently. And it's like, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's, Everything together, a bunch of guys who are uninspiring outside of a couple players, uh, a scheme that is, is, is not even getting communicated to the field the right way all the time, consistently. And, um, you know, a, a group that, that, that won't, they won't make plays above if something lands in their lap. You got to get some guys on your defense who are, who, and I know you want to, you want to budget cut linebacker and that's fine. And you want to budget some things out. I get it. But you got to find some guys who will make those like, Oh shit, that's a play. Like that's a, he read the curl flat, tricked him into thinking he was running to the flat and jumped back underneath that curl window. Like those things you need. Oh, that linebacker was responsible for the front side a gap, but man, he just fell back all the way to backside D gap, ran down the line and ran the running back that like, you need to see those things in the NFL. You, you can only really do so much scheme wise defensively eventually Your guy's got to make plays. They've had a guy make plays, number 95. Occasionally, Denzel Ward has made some plays. But they they don't have guys who can make plays. And I do think that some of it comes back to Joe Woods, too. I'm not trying to put all the fault on the players. There's some of it that comes back to Joe Woods, too. And like some people have talked about, they can't fix it all in one offseason. We talked about the gutting the middle class uh, on the offense. We brought it up. This is where it has been gutted. You whiffed on two linebackers in the last draft before this one. Um, you you drafted a safety in the fourth round who can't even really get on the field at all. Can't beat out Anderson Dejo at all. And and it's like, you needed you greedy Williams to become somebody he's not becoming. Um, You're just, that's, that's the problem. Dorsey drafts uh, Chad Thomas that doesn't become anything. And, And it's, it's tough, man. They're middle class of their defense. The middle class of the offense, very good. Middle class of the defense is, is starving. They don't, they don't have players that can occasionally step up. Not even like, you know, full-time superstars step up pretty often middle-class guys who have a pretty good capability. will step up a couple games out of five. They don't have anyone that'll do that stuff. So they're like, they're strong, man. And they, there's only so much answer they can come up with in terms of trying to confuse people because they can't even communicate it right to try to confuse people. And they're confusing themselves. So it's frustrating. <laughs> man.
0: It's frustrating. It is. Um, yeah. A couple of things I wanted to hit on that you just said that I think are, are really smart. Like, John Dorsey's draft record defensively outside of Denzel Ward is um it's brutal. I mean, like, yeah, you mentioned the whiffing on Mac Wilson, the whiffing on Taki Taki like to have that be your linebacking core. And you look at it right now and we texted about this too. Like, okay. So there's Jacob Phillips. Absolutely. No idea what he's going to be. Obviously like his thing at LSU was just like, okay, he, he doesn't miss tackles. He's a great tackler, but you just, you know, you want more from your linebackers. And, you know, maybe he turns out to be, you know, an above-average football player, great. But, like, for them to be trotting out, you know, this this linebacking core um, it, to start in the NFL is is pretty rough. Um, and, again, like you said, Sheldrick Redwine, like, it's just, you know, doesn't he's, – he's not good. Um, it's – you know, you can just kind of come out and say it. Like, it is – it's just, like you said, these middle-class – uh, picks for the defense have they just completely whiffed on and and is really bad and then you know that again sets you back and you really have to you know then you have to spend capital whether it's draft capital whether it's actual capital and free agency whatever it may be like they they have so much work to do on this defense and I think you're so spot on with like yeah they just outside of asking unfairly from Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and whoever else to like Make these huge game changing plays all the time. There's nobody on this team that's really able to, to do that. Like you said, to, to break off their area because they, they read a route combination and they watch that film and they know what's happening and they can make that play. It's just not, it's just not happening. Um, the other thing too, that's so interesting to me is like, they don't really give up a lot of huge plays down the field. I think like, I, I think about the, the Colts game and, um, I mean, it's happened here and there. A lot of it sometimes is straight up busted coverage. Like I think about CeeDee Lamb's touchdown in that Cowboys game where they just had a miscommunication and he was wide open. That was a big play. But like for the most part, it doesn't feel like they're giving up these huge chunk plays down the field. It just, especially in the Bengals game um and in this recent Raiders game where the Browns had six offensive possessions because their defense can't get off the field. It's like these guys that don't, Especially when you look at Burrow and you look at David, or excuse me, Derek Carr, like guys who don't really push the ball down the field, but are pretty accurate intermediate passers, just picking the Browns apart and just slowly, like it felt like between a couple of those drives in that Bengals game, the most recent one, and that game against the Raiders where you just felt like, and it it played out in time of possession that like they just had the ball for so, so long. And you're just keeping the better part of this Browns team, the offense off the field, because your defense is giving up. Here's a seven yard pass. Here's a 10 yard pass. Here's another seven yard pass. Here's an eight yard run. Like you're just not getting off the field because I think you made a great point. Like these defenders giving up these, easy easy routes because they're just not they don't know what they're doing in their zone they don't know where they're supposed to be or they're just not doing anything more than like what their basic assignment is and it is um hair pulling like you that Raiders game you're just like oh my god please get off the field on a third down and they just can't so it's not even like these dynamic 20 30 40 yard pass plays down the field that are hurting them it's literally just these methodic keeping the ball out of the Browns' offense's hands because they are They've done by a
1: thousand cuts, right? Yes, absolutely, 100%. It's it's just a basic feel for what teams are doing. Like, if teams send a guy to the flat, they're probably going to send a guy to the curl or slant off of it. Like, they just don't have a feel or the confidence, Jordan, to feel like, hey, I can take a little risk here because I know that this scheme is something that they like to do. Like, that – I haven't felt that from any guy, and they don't get any above-average run play from a defensive tackle shooting a gap or fighting inside. Like, that game was indicative of what the bigger problem has been because people were like, Browns have a really good run defense, and I'm sitting here going, well, I don't think they do. They haven't really been challenged by anybody this year. The only team that challenged them was Pittsburgh and James Conner ran for over 100 yards. Uh, they, they, they have been out in front of teams because they've created some early turnovers, and that puts the team behind that they're playing, and then that team just has to throw. And really teams have found it less restrictive to just throw the football on them because they can't cover. So they weren't really challenged in the run game. This was the first game where I felt like somebody really challenged them. And the answer was what I thought it was going to be, which is they're not, they're not quick witted enough to handle it. They don't shoot gaps. They don't, they don't have a feel for this scheme coming at them and getting downhill quickly and playing aggressively. And then ties back into that game where I thought they were passive as an entire roster, but that too plays into the offense because you talk about six possessions, you know, you got to think when, when when Oakland runs a 15-play, 75-yard drive, that's like 25 minutes where the offense is standing on the sidelines in real time. Yep. So you come back out, David Njoku hasn't run for 20-plus minutes, and then he runs a, an important over route over the middle of the field to get a first down, and it's like, man, he's kind of cold. Like, they're just – they have no rhythm. And the offense wasn't really – and I'm kind of going off on a weird way here. I'm out in the weeds. But, like, the offense wasn't really the big problem that game. They went on some long runs. Down the field and sort of in terms of moving it, they 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 had a fumble, they 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 missed a field goal, uh, dropped a touchdown pass. I was like going to say, were... like if
0: if Jarvis hangs on to that touchdown, it's a different game. But I think your sure. your point about like rhythm wise, especially for a quarterback like Baker, who we talked about early on, is such a like streaky rhythm quarterback. Yeah, it's a big deal.
1: It is, and you got to think, dude. In two weeks, they have only forced the opposing offense to punt one time. It's demoralizing for your defense. Every third down, they convert, and you're just, like, throwing your head back in, in, in disgust, and it's frustrating for the group. It's frustrating for the offense who's sitting on the sideline, like, are we ever going to get back out on the field? Then it's frustrating for your offense because you get back out on the field, and you feel like, man, if we don't get this first down, it's going back to the defense, and who knows how long it'll be until we're back on the field again. It's a domino effect there, so it's a big problem. They're, the third down, fourth down inefficiencies that rendered themselves really true over the last two weeks is like... They got they got to solve it. They got to do some different things on third down that give that can give some offenses some trouble because they got to create ways to get the football back. It doesn't involve getting relatively lucky and intercepting a tip ball in the end zone or getting. Uh, a, a fumble or something, or Miles Garrett makes a superhuman play. Like, they can't rely on that stuff. So, they got to find a way collectively among the 11 of them that are on the field on third and fourth downs to make a play. Somebody, and I guarantee this is what Joe Woods is saying in Team Me, somebody's got to make a play. It, you got to make a play because we can put you in the right spots all the time, but eventually you got to go above and beyond and you got to make football plays happen. And right now, they're not. I don't see that being a thing that happens the rest of the year. So, it's just kind of can they. I've said it from the beginning, can they just do enough stuff on defense to create possessions for their offense? That's just getting enough stops, enough punts or holding a team to just enough field goals or holding a team or sorry getting a creating a turnover. They've done a good job creating turnovers. They have not yet started to get teams off the field every now and again when they get in advantageous situations and they and they certainly have not held teams to field goals like we would like to see them hold teams to field goals. So maybe those things come the rest of the way that I think they'll be wildly important. If you're going to bend, but don't break, eventually you got to don't break, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) you can't just bend all the way until they're in the end zone. Like you gotta, you gotta eventually hold those teams to field goals. I'm fine with being a 20 to 20 defense where we stink uh, until they reach the 20 yard line. Then we can, we feel like once things really compress down, we can play some good sound defense and hold them to three. You can win games allowing six field goals. Uh, You can, you can win. You just, you, you can win games in the NFL that way. But they have to eventually buckle down and stop teams from, from, from scoring touchdowns. And that's something as a group this year, they have not found a way to do enough uh, by any stretch. So they got two quarterbacks coming into Cleveland with, with uh, history with the franchise in terms of the franchise passing on those players. So um, they're going to have an opportunity, teams that, like I said, rely on their quarterbacks to make plays. The Texans rely on Deshaun. Eagles rely on Carson for good or bad right now. And they're, they're going to have opportunities to show, hey, we can do some things to quarterbacks to confuse them and create some turnovers and get some possessions back for our offense. So so that to me will be at least a fun litmus test of where they come out of this this bye week, prepared, healthy, feeling better, rejuvenated. Now go prove it in these next two. because these are These are crucial, crucial, crucial. games. They cannot afford to fall five and five in the next two against teams that aren't playing well, but teams that have enough talent that if you don't play well, they can beat you. So that's what I'm interested in.
0: Yep. No, you're 100% right. Um they've gotta come out of the, they've gotta come out of the bye with the urgency of we lose these two games and the playoff hopes are going to go down the drain. So, um yeah, I mean, I think one team, you know, the Texans probably scare me more than the Eagles and, you know, I think Deshaun Watson is just phenomenal Um, even though he's been sort of stripped of, <laughs> of the talent around him on offense, like, uh, um, you know, DeAndre going to, to Arizona and whatever, but he's still the type of guy, like you said, who's going to, you know, he can make up for those weaknesses. So anyway, that, that's going to be a really, um, uh, really important two games out of the bye. Football is back and in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Jake, let's let's end on this. Um... I think, you know, we've, we're obviously fairly, you know, down on this defense and, and for good reason, and we talked about that. Why don't we just briefly, to kind of close, um, I'll start with you. You know, one position group or maybe one player that has really positively surprised you, has really nicely surprised you as a guy that maybe, you know, you didn't expect a ton coming into the season or you weren't sure what their ability was, and, and they've really – kind of made a positive impact uh, on both the Browns and you as you've watched. Why don't we sort of end on that so we can have a little bit of good Browns juju going in uh, as we go through this bye week.
1: Let's do one on both sides. I think that's kind of fun to talk about guys on either side of it. I mean, offensively, it's Wyatt Teller. I, I don't think it can be anybody else. I know it's been disappointing he's got the calf strain. I call it the Lonnie Chisholm um, because the, those calf strains are like Lonnie's. <laughs> I, the, never I think go they away. basically ended his career <laughs> where it's do. like, you hear it, and I'm, young, I'm a younger guy when he was playing, and, and I'm like, what a cast strain. Like, what did he do? I don't get it. What is wrong with the cast strain? And it's like, that's a thing that's really painful, and you have to rest it. And you can't push off the leg, and and uh, it's bad. But otherwise, he was becoming, and I think he, if he comes back after the bye, an all-pro guard. Like, he was playing some of the best football. Guy I really respect uh, Brandon Thorne on Twitter. You can follow Brandon if you care about offensive line play. Defensive line play does such great work. I asked him a couple weeks ago. I said, "Hey man, if, if, if teller because he put out a midseason like all pro list. I said if teller's still playing, he's on that list, right?" He said, "Oh God, without a doubt." So that guy's playing at an all pro level, and we came into the year wondering who's playing right guard, right? Like we thought maybe Drew Forbes could get that role, or maybe Nick Harris take center and or can slide over and hold it over for. We didn't know uh, there were flashes last year from Wyatt Teller, and people could sit here and say, "Oh, well, I knew." Well, whatever, man. You didn't know. Nobody really knew. And uh, he, he took the bull by the horns, for lack of a better cliche, and has been dominating at the point of attack, powerful, uh, still very agile footwork, uh, very good pass protector, very good pull player. Can can I'm not talking about eight ball, but I'm talking about being able to round the, turn the corner, do some different things in terms of counter power schemes. Like He was doing it all. He was physically mauling people at the point of attack and really being a tone setter for the group. And I really look forward to him coming. Not that Chris Hubbard has played bad by any stretch, I think Chris Hubbard's. As far as filling in and playing guard, a position Chris Hubbard has not played in a long time, very admirable. But I think there's something about Wyatt Teller that gives this offensive line some confidence, uh, especially working double teams and then being able to handle a double team, pass it off to J.C. Tretter or pass it off to Jack Conklin, who I think Jack Conklin struggled a little bit on the backside of schemes because I think Teller makes him a little bit better. Um, uh, just in certain terms of securing the first level before he climbs to a linebacker or vice versa, I think Wyatt Teller is a very important part of the offense. I, I, as weird as it is, he was playing as well as Quentin Nelson and we all know how good a football player Quentin Nelson is as right guard for the Indianapolis Colts all pro, all pro player so if that's what they're getting uh if he can, when he comes back and he's in perpetuity going to be that player there's no reason to think he he wasn't becoming that player because he was doing it against really good offensive lines there's no reason to think he won't keep doing it and uh if they get that player man that's an unexpected offensive line boost for the for the foreseeable future because Joel Batonio is eventually going to be aging out of the franchise. I mean, the guy's been around forever. He's still playing really good football. But it's like that's great to see that kind of play. And I'll give John Dorsey credit for that trade because that was a great trade. Ends up netting them a player that's going to be really good. And, and he's, he's really forming and adapting to Bill Callahan's scheme. And it's it's all a fit. So I'm excited for Nick Chubb to come back, obviously. But Wyatt Teller's like, man, I really want to see that guy come back and play good football. So that's what I got offensively. Defensively, to me, it's Malcolm Smith. I think the Browns were really concerned when Mack Wilson went down with a knee injury. It was a blessing in disguise because it forced their hand to go get Malcolm Smith, who's been in and out of the league the past few years. Caught on after his time with Seattle where he was a Super Bowl MVP. Catches on a nice contract with Oakland. Kind of falls out of things. Catches on with San Francisco injuries. Falls out of things. Plays a short time with Dallas, who was in an injury dicey situation last year. The Browns took a flyer on him. Comes in. A fantastic presence in the the, uh, position group in terms of, uh, of in the in the meeting rooms from everything I gather from listening to the Browns linebackers, Coach Jason Tarver, fantastic presence, a guy that, that Tarver believed in and is, is, is obviously a guy Joe Woods believes in, is doing a fantastic job in pass pro, really one of their only instinctive pass defenders at any position um, other than the guys we have talked about, uh, can go above and beyond, can carry people down the middle of the field, does a nice job sitting on high-low schemes, uh, has done a nice job in covering running backs out of the backfield too. Called call the Colts game cut and did a nice job defeating a rail route in the end zone from Naheem Hines. He, he's, he's good. He's good, but he, he, you know, he's kind of what you hope the Browns can find to a younger player that can handle that position and be just kind of an above average linebacker, uh, a guy who can run down players in the open field, can cover one-on-one tight ends running backs when asked to do so, but has been surprisingly solid in the run game too. So I wrote about him not too long ago. I think he's playing really good football without him in the linebacker room. With the injuries that were dealt with 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 with, uh Jacob Phillips, a couple different injuries, Mac Wilson's injury that has completely changed any sort of growth for hope for Mac. Mac is borderline unplayable right now. Sioni Taki Taki's proven himself to be borderline unplayable, other than about 12 snaps on the line of scrimmage as a third linebacker, uh, just basically defending the run. They needed Malcolm Smith, and he is the one of the one of the important reasons why this defense has been respectable in some aspects of the game this year. So, uh, those are my two guys, man.
0: Those are excellent choices, especially Wyatt Teller. It's been so – it was so much fun to watch him and just his attitude and, like, just his personality on the field, um, how hyped he would get about certain blocks, especially early on when, you know, you'd see him in the background after Nick Chubb either scored or had a big run, and he would just be fist-pumping and going crazy. So can't wait to get him back um, and and get him back on that offensive line. Um, I think – my offensive choice is a guy I know you really, really like uh, a lot, too. But Harrison Bryant, I think, has just been um, – not that I think anyone thought, like, he was going to be bad by any sense. I think a lot of people didn't know much about. I didn't know much about him until, you know, the draft, and he sort of got linked to the Browns, and then they took him. So, um, obviously, you know, com- coming from a smaller school – uh, not really in the, uh, on the radar of a lot of Browns fans, especially up in, you know, Northeast Ohio, but, um, he's just been, I think everything that this coaching staff would, uh, have hoped for in terms of just looks like, you know, look like the jump from, um, his small school to the NFL really has not had any sort of impact. He's, I think from day one, um, proven himself as he's, you know, both as a, been a, Flash in the blocking game, like has, has really shown his chops walking, but also just a guy who's gonna, a smart player, gonna find areas on the field to get open. Um, I think you saw, you know, in Cincinnati, the most recent game against Cincinnati, how well he played, how he's able to sort of find spots in the zone and just sit down. I think, um, one of his touchdown catches came on that and, um, you know, just doesn't drop the ball, like is just a really good player as a rookie. And I think is only gonna continue to get better and, and thrive in sort of this, um, tight end friendly scheme that Kevin Stefanski is running. So I think that appears to be the perfect draft pick for the, the perfect coach. Um, and I think the sort of synergy on that pick is as good as you would hope for between a front office and a, and a coaching staff. And, and Harrison's been really, really impressive especially after Austin Hooper went down, like it honestly, like tight end wise, it doesn't feel like the Browns outside of, you know, maybe having to rely on the streakiness of David and Joku a little bit more, but Harrison Bryan has just been rock solid. And um I think like, that's really, really exciting. And Jake, I know you've, you've written about him and, and are high on him as well. I think defensively, I mentioned him earlier, like, you know, I think obviously the jury's still out a little bit on Ronnie Harrison and it's still sort of unknown, like what exactly he can be, but, There were, there were really smart people that I, I follow on Twitter that, uh, when he was traded from, from Jacksonville to the Browns that were just really excited for the Browns and, and really like the potential of Ronnie who is still incredibly young and I think that's also a huge why, huge reason why the Browns traded for him and Andrew Berry brought this up is just you know he's he's super young he's got a couple years left on his contract just a really like advantageous trade for the Browns to make to to get a young talented player who's under contract for a little while um you know at Alabama they moved Ronnie around all over the place he was a hybrid he did a lot of different things and I think the more you've seen uh, now that he's healthy uh, the more you've seen the Browns start to move Ronnie uh, all over the field a little bit sometimes he's down in the box sometimes he's you know, back playing safety, but um, I, I think he has really good instincts. And I think that's sort of what a lot of people also uh, that I read, especially right when the Browns traded for him, is just like, he's just a smart player. And I, I think you're starting to see that. We we mentioned now Phillip Rivers did telegraph the pass a little bit, but you know, one of the few times the Browns uh, DB has held on to an interception. Now Ronnie has dropped uh interceptions, especially in, um, I believe it was, was it against the Raiders? Am I, Am I, Jake? Am I thinking of the right game? Is it like the first Raiders possession, the first drive. Yes, the first drive. They he drops, comes
1: off the edge, right? Yep, he comes off the edge. We thought he was going to strip him. Didn't he gets He Throws it, and it God and that should have six. been
0: a should have been a pick six. And like again, we talk about things that would have changed the outcome of a game. And uh, we talk about guys needing to make plays. Like Ronnie has to make that play. But I do think you've seen Ronnie in areas, and you've seen him. Like we talk about, okay, we always see Sendejo at the in the vicinity of these huge negative plays. Like I think you have seen Ronnie on on the flip side of that. Like I, I do think he's a smart player. He's young. He's growing with this defense, and I think he is a guy. When we talk about who on the who on the defense is going to make a play outside of Denzel or, or Miles, I think Ronnie can be that guy. Now, obviously, it's still been up and down for him. He's been injured. He's Uh, He's made some negative plays. He's he's missed some stuff. But I do think Ronnie is the type of player that I I think both the Browns internally are high on. And I think just from what you've seen – uh, you've seen flashes from as he gets used to a brand new team and a brand new scheme and then kind of dealing with the concussion stuff that he's had too. Like um, I'm pretty high on him and and I think it was a great trade for the Browns to make. And I hope he's someone that continues to grow on the defensive side of the ball um, as, because they need him to, and they need a guy they can move all over the field and who can read stuff and make plays like that. So, so those are my guys, Harrison and, and Ronnie are my two.
1: Also great choices, man. Those are probably the next two guys that I would have picked. Um... Uh, you know, I think Harrison has done a fantastic job for a rookie, especially considering they've dealt with two injuries, right? People were like, why would they keep Najoku when, uh, they got these other guys? Well, you need them, man. In an offense that uses a ton of them, you need them and you miss Najoku for four weeks and you, and, and somehow on earth we have an appendectomy to, to your, your of, number like, one like Of course part, we like, do. yeah. Of course, <laughs> man. So yeah, the, he's been wildly important and has been, uh, a functional part of the offense to, to, I think a degree that is, that is better than, than, than what you could have expected a rookie tight end to do. Has caught some touchdown passes, has made some tough catches, has, you know, he had the fumble, which is our most recent memory of him, which kind of stinks because it squandered the, the, the bye week thought of what he's done. He's been remarkable and uh, a nice player for them. And you're right, Ronnie is a, a nice Swiss Army knife back there that I think once they surround him with talent that they can trust to leave on an island in more situations – uh linebackers and coverage a, a single high center fielder that grant delpit probably becomes for them eventually they can do some fun things with him and get him to go after the quarterback and and um you know watch to what jonathan abrams did for the jonathan Abrams singular yep. what he did for oakland or jesus jake what he did for las vegas uh, as far as coming up the line and blitzing and doing a bunch of variety of fun things, eventually that's what Ronnie can do. Right now they have to be cautious with committing too many players forward when they're they're so worried about the back half of their defense. But yeah, those are good those are good choices, man. But listen, this is this is what's going to be fascinating. I was a believer and I, I said it uh, before that I know the Browns are are certainly in the situation where they're, they're they know 2020 is not the year that they can catch up with the Chiefs, the, the Ravens, the, the Steelers. They know they're not there. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the front office knows that. But I was a believer in trying to do something to pump up the the feeling of your franchise by adding a talent somewhere. Listen, you go trade for Desmond King. Does Desmond King win you a game? Maybe, probably not. But at least you went out and got somebody, and and you were you felt like, man, we got a new body. We got a guy in here who's really good. We feel good about this player or that player, whoever. I, I think they probably talked about giving Desmond King. There's some stuff behind the door on a lot of these deals that probably prevented Barry from making a deal happen. He wanted to make happen. I'm not saying they were, they didn't do this or that. What I am saying is I wanted to see it because you only get so many chances in this league to have a schedule that's favorable the way Cleveland has right now. They have two teams coming out of the bye who traditionally are pretty good, who are struggling because of injuries, struggling because of a terrible head coach for one of them that has manifested into losses that shouldn't have been losses. And like, then you get the two New York teams still on your schedule. There are really good opportunities to go to the playoffs. And for me, it was like, I know you're not going to go make a deal for Quentin Williams or somebody crazy like that, that you give up a ton of capital for. I'm not even asking for that. But what I do want to feel like is your team is being aggressive because if I'm Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, and I know what Jimmy Haslam maybe has told me behind closed doors, like, Hey man, we're going to be patient with you. We believe in this process. We're going to give you time. I promise you, you still don't know because you and I, Jordan, have talked about this. We, we, we talked about where Baker Mayfield goes. Who knows? Maybe they go 8-8 eight and eight the rest of the year. Uh, they go 8-8, eight and eight and then next year they have the NFC North, who's going to be a challenge, and maybe don't get the same schedule. Like if you look at Freddie kitchen schedule, that pretty much cost him his job at the beginning of the year last year because it was so challenging right out of the gate. The same way the Texan schedule was really ridiculous right out of the gate. You never know how these things are going to set up, so if you have a chance, to become almost godlike figures figures for Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry to say, hey, man, we took this team to the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. We did this. In a pandemic-shortened season, everything against us, we did it. That gives you years here, man, where guys believe in you. These guys did it. I want them to be able to do that. They, they still might be able to do that, but I just kind of wanted to clarify why I was so gung-ho on them going and making some deal. I wanted to pump some new blood into this thing the second half of the year. I wanted these guys to feel really good, like, let's go, man. The fan base driving into it, too. Like, because getting to the playoffs for this group with the schedule they have the rest of the year is so important. And I know it's just, it it could just mean a wild card, but it'll mean the world to so many people getting there. I'm not saying they could have swung a deal that would have helped them beat the Chiefs or help them beat the, the Ravens, whatever. But what I am saying is a ticket to that show is what is important and something that we have not had in a long time. So that to me and like securing job security for Stefanski and those guys, have, because like maybe you go to the playoffs this year, but next year you kind of go six and 10 because something happens this, that or the other. I just want those guys to have some job security. I want to, cause I believe in them. Even if things get rocky next year until they find the next pieces that they, if things get disappointing, I just want the fan base to believe in them because I think they're a good coach GM pairing. And it's like, they might ultimately get to the playoffs. I'm not, I don't know. I'm rambling a bit, but like, I just really wanted them to go after the trade deadline to get somebody that helped, helped the franchise kind of feel like, okay, front office believes in us. They got us a body where we needed a body. Let's go prove them right. Let's go make this happen. Now, ultimately, obviously nobody in the league made a move because there's different things going on, but that's kind of where I was going into it. I'm not trying to trade somebody to go beat the chiefs or though. I know that no, everyone knows that they're not at that level. They hope to get there over the next few years, but like, I just see the playoffs as it's, it's at the end of the tunnel, man. It's real. It's really real. And the schedule, it favors the opportunity to actually get there for the first time we've seen in a long time. And it would just be so gut wrenchingly disappointing to see them go eight and eight and miss the playoffs, man. So I don't know. That's where I was at. Yeah. I'm, I, I think I'm confident that they can get there. Uh, But, but certainly in the back of your head, you know, it's still the Browns and, and, and things could go wonky at any minute.
0: Yeah. I, You know, I think in no uncertain terms, like I think they have to make the playoffs. Like I think it would be a massive, massive disappointment for them not to make the playoffs, both like you said, with the start that they've had um, and how the schedule, especially after these two games out of the bye sort of just really flattens out. Like it's right there. And, you know, even if maybe the Browns feel like you said, like they're, you know, they're a year behind sort of where they really feel like they can start to contend for something, but like the, I think just the the morale boost it would give not only this team like you said it would give somebody who is known to be easily swayed like a Jimmy Haslam maybe it would really yeah like solidify like okay I'm giving this GM coach pairing as much time as it's going to take like and just for the fan base and and for everyone for the players like it's a huge deal uh because it has been so long since this franchise has even sniffed the playoffs and you know even the year that you know in 2007 they go 10 and 6 and they they still don't get there like it is just i i don't think it can be like overstated enough like it is it is so so important just to be able to get there i don't even care if they lose in the wild card round i don't care if they get blown out in the wild card round like just to say that on wild card weekend you can watch the cleveland browns in the playoffs for the first time since you know, I was, you know, like in elementary school or early middle school, it's like, it's a really big deal. Um, and I, I think they, I agree with you. I would have loved to have seen them on the defensive side, just like you said, add a fresh body and a, a talented fresh body, but somebody, yeah, you're not breaking the bank for, you're not giving up a ton for it. Um, but who can just come in and yeah you you boost the defense a little bit just in mindset alone i think these are things that make a big difference and obviously it was a like you said it was a dud of a trade deadline across the nfl um we're in a weird place with the the pandemic and the people not knowing what the salary cap is going to be next season and, and all of that stuff so you know it's unfortunate that those circumstances existed right now for a browns team that really could have used um somebody in a trade especially on the defensive side of the ball so I agree with you there um, but yeah I think just you know as we as we sort of end this like it is I will be and I I said this before the season even began like it I just think they have to make the playoffs and there's no excuse for them not to I, I really believe that and I think getting there um, would be a really really huge deal
1: yeah we're past the point where there was an excuse I think you had an excuse formulated at the beginning of the year to start slow yep um, you had it you had it there with we weren't prepared. now you're eight weeks in you're five and three A little disappointed. You didn't come out of it six and two with a winnable game there at home and the West coast travel team and all that, but you're still five and three. You have five games. You should win in the second half of the year. And it's there in front of you. And you've, you've, you've been with your guys for eight weeks now. It's nothing new. You know who your team is. You know who your coaches are. You know what your routines are. I'm with you at this point. Now it is, it is a disappointment if they do not find a way to make it to the playoffs based on uh, the schedule they have remaining and the time they have now spent together and, uh, and still the talent that they have on this football team. And, and, and uh, I'm, listen, I'm I'm not here to, to make warnings or anything. That's not what I'm doing. I, I believe they will get there. Uh, but you, you know, my point leading into the deadline was just, you know, sometimes a fresh body, even if it's a guy that won't win you a game or won't, it's just a mentality of like, man, these guys believe in us. Let's go, let's go proven right. And, uh, I wish it would have happened, didn't ultimately happen. And like I said, I'm not sitting here trying to say, damn you, Andrew Bear, you did make it happen. I think they did call about him, Desmond King and I think they made some calls, but I think there's a little bit of, Hey, I don't want to go to your team. I'm not doing that. This, that, and the other comes into play. Agents get in the game. It gets dicey and, uh, all that stuff. So you never really know. I'm not trying to place blame. I would have loved to have seen it, but they got a bye week right now, the perfect middle of the year bye week, not a week four bye week, week eight or sorry, week nine bye week, splits your season in half. You got a really good chance to go in the second half of the year and and really make some things happen. And uh, I'm excited, man. And this was fun, Jordan. You know, these are, these are great. I continue to say, dude, we need to co-host these things and do a, do a show more often, but, but life gets in the way.
0: I, uh, I agree with you. Um, we absolutely, I always enjoy talking to you. Like I said, you always make me smarter about football. And that's, I think that's one of the best, the best qualities about. What you do and everything, whether it's, you know, writing or, or video breakdowns for the OBR, which is like if you're not following Jake and, and watching that stuff, like I highly, highly recommend it. You will understand the Browns and what they do on both sides of the ball so much better. It'll just make you a smarter football fan. So, Jake, it's always great to talk. And hopefully as they get closer to making the playoffs, uh, we can reconnect um and we can kind of, you know, talk about where they are but I think this was a, a great and thorough breakdown of where the Browns are sitting at five and three at their bye week as they go into the second half of the season. So uh, Jake, thank you so much, man. Thanks for taking some time out to uh, to chat and, and break things down. It was excellent stuff as always.
1: First of all, my pleasure, man. Big fan of yours, obviously. You're a great Twitter follow. You give great insight. Um, and again, thanks for the kind words and I will be on anytime you text me, we will, we will make it happen.
0: (laughs) All right. That's perfect. Uh, we will, uh, we will definitely be doing this more often as hopefully the Brown season goes in the second half of it
1: goes in the direction that we want to. So uh, until then, Jake, thanks again, man. Hey, my pleasure.